0: Welcome to Craft Life Episode 6, Click Clash. In this episode, there is more garage sale goodness. I'll have a bit of a chat with my brilliant husband on the topics of photography and videography. I'll fill you in on what I've been knitting and frogging, and I have a special request for those of you who create for charity. All this coming up in this episode of Craft Life, the podcast all about living the creative life. Thank you for tuning in to this sixth episode of Craft Life. I'd like to say hello to all of you returning listeners, and I would like to issue a special welcome to any brand new listeners. I'd also like to take a moment to thank those of you who have gone and left a comment and a review on iTunes. I, I pulled iTunes up about uh, oh about three or four days ago, and I saw I had three more reviews. So. Thank you so much again. It, it really means a lot to me when people like the show and they take the time to go there and and to leave nice reviews and comments, and and I really appreciate that. So thank you. Well, as I said in the intro, I have a few few garage sale finds to share with you. Last episode, we talked about creating on a budget. And one of the things that I mentioned, I know for at least the second time since I started the podcast, um, was the benefit of checking out garage sales and or thrift stores for some of your crafting supplies. Well, last weekend, we were down visiting my mother-in-law again, and of course, as I've said, she is the maven of garage sales. So we hit some garage sales on Saturday morning, and lo and behold, I came across a very nice lady who had two giant like Tupperware bins full of cones of yarn, and we're talking over a 1,000 yards of yarn per cone, and they were marked $5.00. A piece. And and that's just, I mean, that's phenomenal by itself. But of course, since I was there with my husband and he is he is the man to bargain with, <laughs> he went and um and, and discussed with with the people who were having the garage sale and they agreed to let me pick out five cones for I think seventeen dollars. And then the lady who was selling it came over and looked through the bins and found a, oh, maybe a half-used cone. And she said, you know what, we'll just we'll just throw that in there. You can just have that. So I was very excited. Um, I chose maybe some, some colors that I don't have a lot of in my stash. And I tend to have a lot of, of, of worsted weight in my stash as well. And so I, I lean more toward the lace weight or some sport weight yarn, just to kind of mix things up to kind of kind of give me a little more to work with when I go stash diving. It all worked out great. I have five cones plus a half a cone of, of new yarn that's new to me, and I was absolutely thrilled with my purchase. So again, another example of why you should go and check out garage sales and thrift stores for your craft supplies or your craft tools because you never know what you're going to find. Oh, and as as a PS... As we were leaving the garage sale, the dear sweet lady who was who sold me that yarn came running after the car, and she was waving something in her hand, and we stopped, and when she approached the car, she had a yarn cone holder, and since this is the first, or these are the first cones of yarn that I've ever purchased, I, of course, don't have a yarn cone holder until now, so I thought that was so sweet of her. As I have heard, and as I have said, knitters are just... They're nice people. Speaking of nice knitters, I would like to tell you about another podcast that I am a huge fan of. And and really, I don't think I'm introducing you to this podcast. If you have listened to crafty or knitting podcasts for any length of time, you have heard of Craftlit. Craftlit has is, is probably been around longer than most any other crafting or knitting podcasts that I've come across yet. And Heather Ordover is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't listened to Craft Lit yet, it's a combination of crafty talk and literature. And Heather has worked as a teacher, and she that's how she approaches the books. It's, it's like going back and getting a redo on the bad English classes that I had in high school. Not that they were all bad. They weren't all bad. But some of them were. Or maybe a redo on... Um, freshman college English and if you didn't maybe have a good teacher she is absolutely phenomenal she gives you good history and background and critique on everything that you listen to and it and it has really made some books that maybe I have been exposed to in the past it has really made it a lot easier for me to appreciate I mean I've, I've gotten so much more out of the books that we've covered so far than I have when I was first introduced to them so Heather was so kind to take some time out of her very hectic schedule right now if you're current with her podcast you know that she is she's she's quite a busy lady <laughs> and she was so nice enough to take some time out of her schedule to put together a current promo so that I can play it for you here on Craft Life so without further ado I give you the promo from Craftlit with Heather Ordover
1: welcome to Craftlit a podcast for crafters who love books. My name is Heather Ordover, and I'm podcasting from my corner of the Sonoran Desert, the old Pueblo, Tucson, Arizona. Join me in listening to The Woman in White. If you've never listened to Craftlet before, think of it like A book on tape with benefits. (laughs) I'll make it painless for you to listen to some of the best classic literature ever written. Right now we're listening to The Woman in White and this fall Dracula. You don't have to be crafty to listen but it is a great way to listen to fantastic classic literature if your hands are busy. Painting, or sculpting, or washing dishes, or vacuuming, or any of the myriad things that I get emails about. Listeners come from all over the world doing all sorts of things while they're listening to the books. Join us. And thanks.
0: The title of today's episode is Click Clash, and you might be wondering where I got that from. Well, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to be having a little bit of a discussion about photography and videography with my very, very brilliant hubby. And I was thinking about episode titles that had to do with cameras and recording. And I wasn't coming up with anything very good. And so I just let my mind wander, as it has a tendency to do. And you never know where you'll wind up when you do that. And my mind wound up with Jim and the Holograms. When I was growing up, we didn't so much play with Barbies, but we loved Jim and the Holograms. This was a cartoon that ran from, I believe, 1985 to 1988. And it, it followed the lives of these two rival girl bands, and as much as I loved music, and it was the 80s, it was crazy. So we had the gym and the hologram dolls, and we sang the music, and just had a blast. And the title of one of the songs that they sang is Click Clash, and that's where the title of today's episode came from. If you don't know what I'm talking about, or if you would just like a little blast from the past from Jem and her friends, you can check out a link on the show notes. I'll have it to a YouTube video so you can see Jem and the Holograms in action, so check that out if you're interested. And now I'd like to introduce you to my husband, Adam. Adam works as an interactive learning designer for a Fortune 500 company, and basically that kind of says what it is. He designs interactive learning materials. He, along with the rest of his team, design and implement all of the training materials. And by himself, he is pretty much the one-man show for all of the industrial video work, um, which for those of you who, who may not know what that means, that's all of the internal videos that is that are done within the company. He plans them with the team, and then he kind of solo shoots them, directs them, and edits them. He has been so kind as to agree to come and to be interviewed for the podcast, and he's going to share a little bit about what he knows about photography and videography. So if you've ever been interested in either one of these topics, or if you just want to figure out. Maybe just some small tips and tricks that might help you take a better photo while you're on family vacation. Um, Hopefully, he'll have something to speak to everybody that's listening today. Hello, Adam, and welcome to the Craft Life Podcast. We're so glad to have you here.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Well, I have you here today to talk a little bit about photography and videography, and you're... you're Pretty, pretty much an expert on both of those topics, I think. What, what would you say to that?
2: No, I wouldn't say I was an expert. I, I like to be modest in the, that respect. Okay. I am not a, as good a photographer as I am a videographer.
0: Okay, I can respect that. Well, um, to start off with, how did you kind of become interested in photography or videography? You can just pick one or both.
2: I don't remember exactly when I was in college and thought it'd be kind of neat to take some classes in communications. And I started looking at different classes they offered. And I started looking at photography and videography. And that's how I got interested.
0: Okay. Well, if you could talk a little bit about some of your earliest film works, and I'm thinking pre-college.
2: Oh, boy. Um, I really couldn't say that I did the photography or anything when i was a young kid but we did a, a lot of uh, interesting videos we tried to mimic the cops show and it was me and my twin brother my older brother and my cousin and one summer we took our vhs camera and we took turns running around the house in paper bag uniforms you know with uh, plastic weapons acting like we were cops and we always had one bad guy and it was just it was just one of those things that we kept doing over and over again that summer and we'd do little stop motion videos. Or I'd actually help my brother, my older brother at the time was uh doing the production, I guess you can say. We just helped a little bit.
0: So I, I've seen some of these early videos and I have to say you have some pretty remarkable special effects for, for being the age that you were and, and for the time being what it was?
2: Yeah, well, we there was no computer involved. So we just did, we did stop motion for some things. We also did voiceover where we would put the camera connection into the TV. Then we would record our voiceover over it. So it was pretty neat. That camera was a little advanced, I would say, for its time. But we did voiceover work for some of our animals. We would tape them and and we would do voices for them, so it was pretty funny.
0: That sounds, that sounds like something uh, something that we'd find on YouTube nowadays. <laughs> yes, very early. Now, what what's the favorite your favorite project kind of to date? You know, including everything you did in the past up through what you've worked on professionally. What's the favorite thing that you've worked on up to now?
2: Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite. They've all kind of been the same. Just you know, the projects that I've been given or. Uh, things that I've worked on. I would say, you know, some of my favorite stuff's in college because we were trying to figure out our creativeness at that time. So we were trying to figure out what we liked, what we didn't like, and we just kind of did everything. So in college was a lot of fun. We uh, had times where things did not work out and the videos were horrible. And then we had sometimes where I'm, I'm like, I look back at it now and I'm like, hey, that wasn't too bad.
0: Are there any rules any hard and fast rules for composing a, a video or a film? Like, I mean, just things that you need to make sure you do every single time to, to make a good quality video. Uh,
2: well, without getting technical, because I don't know, you know if anybody's, you know, or how interested or involved someone is that's listening to this right now, but you always want to make sure you know who your audience is. You also want to know what the length of the video should be before you start. A lot of times if you don't go in with those two things in mind, you will either overshoot the length of the video by way more than it should be, by just keep adding things and adding things. If you set a limit, you're, you're more apt to just accomplish the goal that you've set out to do. And your audience, knowing who your audience is, is important, that way you can focus your project to the audience's interest.
0: What level of quality video would I be able to shoot with, say, my iPhone?
2: I think nowadays with everybody doing YouTube videos and uh, the amount of, I guess, quality video cameras out there, I don't really know if you can even count the quality anymore. Uh, You know, YouTube videos that are very interesting. And what I mean by quality is like the actual appearance of the video. You can look at some YouTube videos and see, hey, man, that was a great idea. They did such a good job. And it's not always about graphics or special effects or even the quality of the video itself. You know, it could be grainy and still be a great video. So if you talk about quality from a technical standpoint, the iPhone's a good camera. I mean, it will shoot a video. Now, there's a lot of things that you have to keep in mind, but, you know, it will shoot a video. And if you do it the right way, it can become a very good quality video.
0: now what, what kind of things do I need to keep in mind if' I'm, if I'm going to shoot a video on my iPhone?
2: Well, that it's not a very versatile camera. You'll need to have great lighting everywhere you go. It also is very shaky. Uh, the, the camera itself doesn't have anything built in to keep it from shaking. You can do that in post editing, but you know unless depending on your editor, you may have trouble figuring out how to do that or getting it the way you want it without lots of lots of extra work. So if you have one of those Gorilla Grips for your iPhone or a case, or you just have something you can set it up on to record, then that will keep it steady. If you're trying to do moving shots, that kind of thing, you're just going to have to try your best to keep it steady.
0: Okay, now say we have some listeners who are really interested in videography and and they kind of want to move past the iPhone. Do you have any camera recommendations for the budding director or videographer?
2: Well, there's a couple things you can look at. They call them, I guess, prosumer, pro-consumer. I'm not really sure of the term of it, but they're cameras that are not professional cameras. They don't cost fifteen, twenty thousand dollars 20000 You don't have to worry about a lot of attachments and that kind of thing. But then there are some that are around 1500 to 3500 And those are the kind of cameras, if you're trying to get past just the regular you know, cell phone camera, that's the next step up. Kind of like if someone going from a, a regular 5-megapixel you know, Nikon to a DSLR camera so it's one of those type steps so then you can you know you have attachments you have lenses you have different microphones you can use and those are the really that's really the step up but i don't have any specific brand in mind it's really just what you're used to if you have a lot of the same brand it helps out because sometimes a lot of the attachments are the same and the um, usb cords and that kind of thing will be similar across product lines so if you have sony products that you've been using it doesn't hurt to go ahead and buy a sony product for that
0: now what, what kind of a price range are we looking at?
2: Well, as I said earlier, I mean between 1500 and 3500 is probably a good price price range if you're just starting out. You know, you can the camera I work with is a $6000 camera, but it's some I mean I've been doing it for 5 years, so it's something that I chose to to invest in and it's because of the versatility of the camera, not because of what it, it shoots just as good or sometimes worse than other cameras out there. But I chose it because of the versatility, and I know that that's what I wanted to get for the long haul.
0: Now you mentioned other kind of accessories or add ons you can get to go with your camera. Would it be uh, would it be more financially beneficial to purchase a camera that maybe has things already built in, or to just purchase a basic model and then buy the attachments that you can swap out?
2: Depending on how, if you want if you're trying to do film, uh, which most people, if you're trying to do a podcast video then you might be able to just get a camera that has built-in audio, so something that has a built-in mic. If you're trying to do a film, the built-in mic's not going to do you any good. Your shots aren't going to always be you know, two feet away from you. So those are the kind of things you want to keep in mind. What are, what are you trying to do? Are you doing a film? Are you doing you know, a podcast video? Are you shooting your dogs running around the backyard and just wanting to edit together for you know, your church weekly? I, you know, Just those little things you have to keep in mind. So audio is a big thing with any video, the audio is horrible. Most people don't want to watch it or don't want to listen to it because the audio is bad. So that's a big thing when you're doing video is figuring out what's the best audio that I can do for the camera.
0: Now I've got all my video. I've shot all my video footage, and then when I want to take it in and I want to piece it together and, and turn it into you know a completed product. What kind of editing software would you recommend for, for say, uh, just a beginner?
2: Uh, well, if you have a Mac, the best thing is iMovie. It's very easy. It's got a lot of professional tools that even professional editing suites don't have, or if they have it, it's a lot more work to do it. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see somebody drop something into i iMovie just to get the smooth camera, like we talked about earlier, getting the shake, the shake uh, out of the camera. Well, in the past, iMovie was better for that than most, uh, you know, just regular products out there. So, if you're looking at something that's very inexpensive or comes with your computer, if you have a Mac, iMovie's good. PC, there's probably a hundred different things you could get. Uh, a lot of people use Sony Vegas, I believe is the name of the, the software. It's a little cheaper, but it gets you into the nonlinear editing and the digital formats.
0: All right. Now say I want to take that and, and kind of bump up my editing to the next level. If I got comfortable with iMovie and, and maybe I wanted some more options that just were not available there, what would be my next step in software?
2: For a Mac, it'd definitely be Final Cut Pro. Uh, a lot of people use it. I've, I use it every day. I think it's a great product. It is going to be updated this summer, finally. been waiting about two years for this update. And the update before it should have been this update, but it's, it wasn't. So it's an update long, long in need. So that is probably your best choice overall. Uh, the bad thing is, is you have to have a Mac to be able to use Final Cut Pro. The good thing is is if you have a Mac, you're not going to have to worry about a lot of things. So I, I'm a Mac fan when it comes to video editing. Mm-hmm. I, I find uses for PCs, but it's mostly just for gaming or tinkering. If you're on a PC, though, you can check out Adobe Premiere. It's a very expensive uh, software. And to kind of give you a relation, the Adobe Premiere is, I believe it was around 14 to $1,600 the last time I checked. And Final Cut Pro is only six hundred
0: ninety nine. Wow! So that's a big difference. It
2: is, and for something that I think is a comparable product, it's half the price. So it's definitely worth it.
0: Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Sound effects.
0: <laughs> We're gonna move from talking about videography to talking about photography. And now you said that's not you know, that's not your number one area of expertise, but I've seen your work, and I think you do a pretty darn good job. Um, And a lot of our listeners photograph their handmade items to list either in their online stores, like Etsy or Folksy, or on places like Ravelry. Now, what are a few simple photography tips that you can offer that can help them take good quality photos?
2: Well, the first thing you always want to keep in mind, even if you use editing software, is to try to get the best shot possible, even if you're going to try to edit it afterwards. Uh, a lot of times, when I, like we talked about earlier in college, we would say, oh, we'll just fix it in post. Oh, we'll edit it later. You know, who cares <laughs> what it looks like now? But that doesn't always work, and you'll find it's very frustrating. So it's better to learn upfront how to shoot a great photo before you take it into the editing software. It's
0: better to just do it right the first time. Instead of trying to fix what you've messed up. True. Okay.
2: But you can enhance it by using an editing software or editing program. Uh, Quick tips is make sure your lighting is good. If you're going for a cinematic feel, you can change. uh, You can have harsh shadows, and there's a lot of science behind all this, and there's a lot of history in the the photography business about what cinematic lighting is and what uh, basic, you know, your flat lighting Uh, So if you're looking at an item, most items you'll see, the best thing to do is go do some research. Look at other people's pictures. Look at pictures on, you know, target.com. Look at what they're doing to show off their products. And then you'll get a feel of, okay, this is the kind of lighting I need. This is what the product should look like.
0: Now, there is one rule in particular that you taught me very early on in our relationship, and that is the rule of thirds. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: No, it's my secret. Oh, it's your secret. No, well,
0: just just share it with, with just the craft life audience. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, this is not a secret by any means. This is something that has been around for I don't even remember when when it got started, but it's one of those things that when you see it, you don't realize you're looking at it until you know what it is. So if you look at a picture, what you want is the focal point. So if you're taking a picture of a person's face, you want their eyes to be on a third.
0: Okay, now what does that mean when you say on a third? What does that actually mean?
2: So, if you take a lot of the cameras, even some uh, you know smaller cameras nowadays will have a grid pattern that you can overlay on the screen. So, when you're looking through an LCD, it'll put up a grid. Now, what it does is it separates the screen into thirds, so it creates two lines—one two vertical and two horizontal.
0: So, this is like like a tic-tac-toe board. Exactly. Basically.
2: So, it looks like a tic-tac-toe board. So, you you divide your screen. No matter if you're shooting widescreen or full screen. Uh, 4x3 or 16x9, it breaks it into those grids. Then you would like the eyes of the person to be on both thirds, unless the person is looking directly at you. But the basic rule is just to keep whatever you're focusing on, on a third. And if it's a horizon, you probably want that on the lower third. If more of your focus is the land rather than the horizon itself, you would want the horizon on the, the upper third so you can see more of the land. So it's really, it comes down to if you're shooting a tree or a person and you want to you, you don't want it centered, you kind of want to put it on a third, either on the left side or the right side, whatever you're trying to focus on. But you'll start to realize that a lot of good pictures, a lot of things that you find pleasing, that are pleasing to the eye, are, on, are pictures that have the focal point on a third. Now, I don't want to get into too much detail, but it's important to, when you're shooting a person, to give them lead room. And what I mean by that is if they're, looking to your right you would want to have their eyes on your left third
0: that way there's there's a lot more space between their eyes and the edge of the picture because if their eyes are right up next to the edge of the picture it starts to look uncomfortable right
2: it does it makes you feel uncomfortable and it's those little things that the reason why the rule of thirds is there is because it makes it more comfortable for the user or whoever's looking at the photo or video if you watch an interview on tv Probably in the past 15 years, every person you see on TV that's sitting down and doing an interview on you know, 60 Minutes, CNN, ESPN, they're on a third. You'll see them, they are on a third looking across the screen to the other third.
0: You know, it's so funny because I, I never noticed that before until you explained to me the rule of thirds, and now I, I do. I see it everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. And the only time, and it's good, once you know the rule, you can break it a little bit. So play around with it. You can find... Uh, you know, I'd rather have this centered. Well, it makes sense sometimes to have something centered than on a third. If you want it abstract, then just forget about the thirds. Just do whatever you want.
0: It's just kind of go, that, that's that's the point where you veer into your, your personal style. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, just like with the video cameras, I'm going to kind of ask you a, a, a similar question to that. Um, for people who are interested in trying their hand at photography, can you suggest a good um or or a few good starter cameras?
2: I don't really, again, I don't care really much about brands when it comes to to cameras, but just for the sake of being basic, make sure you get a camera that has a good lens because that's really the important part. The camera, yeah, it makes a big difference, but the lens is almost, or I would say the most important part of the camera. So if you read reviews, make sure it comes with a lens that is detachable And that lenses, you know, if you're getting an expensive camera, make sure you're getting a comparable lens with it. And if you're you're not getting a lens at all, make sure you do some research and find out what lens will work better for what you're trying to accomplish.
0: And for people who just want to be able to take a really good picture for their Etsy shop, I mean, can they just do that with with just go to Walmart or somewhere like that and pick up a $30 camera? Do they sell them for $30? I don't know. I don't (laughs) think
2: so, but... I would say a DSLR camera is a good camera to get. And just because it's got a a lens that is probably, depending on which one you get, it's going to do what you need it to do. So we talked about getting the best lens, but most can't. if you go to Circuit City or Best Buy and just say, I want a DSLR camera, they'll point you in the right direction. And usually most of them, they all come with a lens when you're at a, a retail shop like that. If you buy it online, sometimes you can just get the base but most of them come with a lens that's acceptable and will work for anything that you need to do.
0: Well, that's my last question I have about photography, but I do have a few more questions for you.
2: No! Yes! Why, (laughs) cruel
1: world?
0: Oh, it's not that painful. Okay, do you have any other crafty or creative pursuits, things that you you like to do that are of a creative nature other than photography or videography?
2: Does playing creative games count?
0: Um I'm trying to think of a way to make that count and I can't come up with one (laughs) right. Do you have to be a
2: creative person to play creative games? Uh no. Okay, well that doesn't count then. All right. Uh well I like to well, right now I'm learning how to program. So that's a lot of fun for me. I like to get in and solve problems. I'm working with Flash. So when I say programming, it's AS three, which is the Flash programming language. I would like to get in and learn other languages. That are very popular to actual uh, computer software, but right now I'm working on Flash, and that's a lot of fun for me. It's I, I would say that's one of the most creative things I've done because you have complete control from start to finish what the user experiences.
0: And and what are you what are you programming in Flash right now?
2: I'm making a game. game. Yeah, it's a uh, mm. it's a cross between a Diner Dash and a Sims type game.
0: Okay.
2: Nobody Ooh. can play it, though. We it's a not, secret project.
0: We will not say any more about the game right now. It's It's still in its early stages, but I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how it's coming along Yeah. so far. You have also been known to do a little graphic design as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. You designed what? What that is very special to, to this podcast?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't remember what. What did I do? The Craft Life uh, icon. Yes. Or banner or whatever they call it on iTunes.
0: You you did both. You did our, our iTunes badge thingy and you did the um, the Ravelry Group banner. hmm Yes.
2: And I got paid well for it.
0: Yes, you did. Just like you're getting paid very well for this interview.
2: That's right. I get food. <laughs> Yummy.
0: Now that we've talked a little bit about your other craft, your creative pursuits, I do have a segment on the podcast that you know very well. Um,
2: oh, goodness. Okay, sorry. How
0: to um, do
2: it?
0: <laughs> well, Craft Life listeners, if you have not yet figured out where you have heard this voice before, it's because Adam does the, the Southernism definitions.
2: It's my radio voice.
0: Yes, with his radio voice. Um, So I have to ask you, Adam, what is your favorite Southernism?
2: I don't know. I, I really don't know very many Southernisms myself. If I had to choose one, I would go with Dagnabbit as my southern... (laughs) I have no idea why. It just sounds southern. Dagnabbit. I don't even know what it means. I guess you can look it up later.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm going to look up Dagnabbit. But
2: Dagnabbit.
0: Dagnabbit.
2: Noun. No, I really don't know if it's a noun.
0: Oh, wait. Oh, I misspelled it. Dagnabbit.
2: Hey, it's Um. an urban dictionary. Let's check it out.
0: It says it's an old cootism. <laughs> uh,
2: it's not a southernism
0: <laughs> used by 1890s prospectors. Nice. Well, you are a 49ers fan.
2: I am. See, so that works out well. My so, favorite southernism is Dagnevitt.
0: So your favorite southernism is a west coastism. That's it. Okay. I think I'll take that. <laughs> Well, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do the interview, and I think it's I think it's going to be great.
2: Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you. Again, a very big thank you to Adam for taking the time to do the interview with me. Adam also wanted me to mention that if you have any questions about cameras or photography or videography or anything that he talked about or maybe something that he didn't talk about you can absolutely email him you can email treacle and hotmail at hotmail.com and if you just want to put his name in the subject line then I'll know that's for him and I will just pass it on his way so what am i making yes we finally reached that part of the podcast i have completed the waterfall scarf this was the scarf that i had knit from my hand spun and decided to frog and re-knit and it is complete and it is long enough and i am very excited about wearing it i've also cast on a baby blanket i've not completed that i've run out of yarn but I do know that there is more available, so as soon as I get my hands on that, I will be completing that. I've also cast on the Harai Scarf. This is by Hiroko Fukatsu, and you can find this on Ravelry, and I will have a link to this pattern in the show notes. I've cast this on with the Alp Light that I bought at the Dallas Fiber Fest. If you remember this yarn was kind of a combination of different types of yarn different textures and it was all kind of rolled into one skein when i got to the third yarn change it became um, this this very little fun fur and i've never knit with fun fur and i've heard people say they love it and i've heard people say they hate it and mm, i don't think i'm a fan yeah i dropped a stitch about six rows into the fun fur and I couldn't see my mistake because of all the fuzzies. After spending about an hour trying to figure out how I had dropped the stitch, how to pick it back up, and just realizing that I couldn't even see the stitch to figure out what had happened, I frogged the whole thing. And instead of being this this pretty little pattern scarf that is the horai scarf, it's, it's just a 4x4 four four rib. Yeah, I think the yarn has... Plenty of interest in it that I don't need to do anything too fancy with the stitches. But I do really like this pattern, and I will, as I said, have a link to it on the show notes. And I do want to knit it in the future with something that's maybe a little bit easier to see. So check that out if you're interested. I'm also still spinning my fiber that I dyed with Kool Aid. I got an email this week from Janine, and Janine is the host of the Clothes in the Lamb podcast which um, is a really nice podcast. And I am actually probably going to talk about that a little bit in a future episode. But Janine got in touch with me and said that in her experience with the Kool-Aid dyeing, it has been the microwaving that has caused any felting that that she may have had. And I had wondered that, but I wasn't sure. So thank you for pointing that out, Janine. And she also suggested a different type of dyeing technique that she hasn't tried yet, but she plans on trying it in the future, and I plan on trying it probably in my next round of, of dyeing attempts as well. She said it's a technique that involves mason jars that you fill with the different colors of dye, and you put them into a canning pot. And if anyone has has canned before, you know what I'm talking about, it's the big giant pot that that you can set a whole bunch of jars down into the bottom. and once you put the dye jars in the bottom, you kind of snake the roving in and out of the jars. So you, you get that color change effect, and then you heat it, I guess, on the stovetop in the canning pot. And that seems like such a smart idea to me, and I think there's probably a lot less chance for felting. And yeah, I just think it sounds great. So the next time I dye, I will probably be trying that method. So again, thanks, Janine, for sharing that with me. <music> Before I wrap up for this episode, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up on what you can expect in the next episode. In the next episode, I'm going to be discussing using your creative talents to do good. And I have started a thread on the Ravelry group called Creating for a Cause. And I would just like to ask you, if you knit or paint or whatever crafty thing it is that you do, if you do that with a a charity group or if you do that for a good cause if you if you give it away if you donate it for raffles that raise money for for good things if you are a part of a charity crafty group that that is looking for volunteers whatever it is if it's something that you do for good i would like you to leave a link to any information about it in that thread tell us a little bit about it let us know how we can get involved if if we can get involved and um, and just share your ideas for creating things for good. If you'd like to get in touch with me or with Adam, you can email treacleandink at hotmail.com. You can find this podcast on the blog at treacleandinketsy.wordpress.com, and you can also find it on iTunes. Find me on Ravelry. My name is Treacle and Ink. It's also that on Facebook. And come check out the Craft Life Ravelry group. Join me in the next episode when we'll talk about crafting for good. Until then, thanks so much and have a great week.